The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hey there. Welcome to Nick Pollock and Friends, where I talk to people I know and who you should know. Today is Al Melchior, formerly of Fangraphs and CBS. I actually believe he still do some things um, at both. Maybe you'll correct me, of course, but he's at The Athletic now doing wonderful stuff. One of the nicest guys in the industry, currently in Montana and going to be moving to Massachusetts soon. I'm so excited for you, Al. Thanks so much for taking the time to meet with me today and, yeah, just talk about life together. Yeah, well, uh, there, as you you kind of intimated, a lot going on in life uh, <laughs> right now. Uh, but first of all, thank you so much, Nick, for having me. I think this is an, a really, really cool format. Um, I'm very, very uh, uh, glad that you asked me to come on here. And uh, yeah, just to get back to what you said, yeah, no, it's, it's pretty much all the athletic all the time now. Uh, the folks at CBS are nice enough that once in a while they ask me to jump back on the pod, which is great because it's just a... You know, it's great to, to chat with uh, Scott and Frank. Well, actually, Frank and I know each other not from CBS, but from um, uh, from, you know, other uh, other things. But um, but, yeah, no, it's really cool. And Chris Towers, who I worked with at CBS. So it's, it's always nice when they they back every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, you were uh, uh, for a long time a major part of their fantasy baseball today segment, and I mean, it's it's pretty easy to move from such a great gig to another one uh, when it comes to the athletic, and we're all incredibly excited um, when you uh, when you were brought on. It made all you know all the sense in the world for us that you are now part of the, that amazing crew at the athletic, uh, and. I wanted to. I want to really get there, you know. I, along the way of this podcast, I want to get to the point where that happened. But I want to start, as I always do. I want to start at the beginning with you. I'm so curious, Al. So, so where did you grow up, and did you in any way see yourself in the position that you are now? I uh, on the you know talking about baseball for a living. Well, it, it, no. The answer is definitely no. <laughs> um, and it's it's funny though because I mean the, just the narrow niche that I'm in and and uh, you know that a lot of our our colleagues are in this you know fantasy sports analyst analyst niche that uh, you know did not exist when I was a kid didn't exist when I was in college did not exist for you know, what the first like 15 years of my post college life right so I certainly couldn't have possibly foreseen. Um, this particular job trajectory, but even just to be in sports media at all. No, I mean, I love, I love basketball as a kid. I, lo- I, for a time I love baseball too, but basketball was really my thing. And so, you know, when I was like eight years old, I would, you know, 
play one-on-one with my, my friend from across the street. And, you know, and I would dream that I'd be an NBA star, not, oh, wow. <laughs> not a podcast, whatever, whatever that is. I'm just imagining El Melchior at eight years old playing one-on-one and playing basketball. I'm like, is this something you pursued in high school? And, and uh, how actually unsuccessfully kind of too. You're, huh? you're, you're, you're over six <laughs> feet tall. I believe I'm trying to, I mean, it's been, it's been too long since I've seen you in person, but it's been like, yeah, 16 months or whatever. Yeah, About six foot, six foot. I mean, all right. So, so the height was kind of there. Uh, you're saying unsuccessful. You played in high school though. And, and I, I tried out, I did not make it. So I played in middle school. Um, you know, at that point it became very clear by the time I was like 12, you know, 11, 12, that, yeah, the NBA was not my future, but I just still sure. loved to play. And I was a bench yeah, guy course. in middle school and, um, tried out for the high school team, but, you know, became pretty clear pretty quickly. That wasn't going to happen. I did run track. Um, so that was, yeah, in terms of high school, that was the only sport that I played. I mean, we all have that dream, right? We all have that dream that, and at some point in life, you know, some it's later than others. It's, you have to say, okay, you know what? This isn't what I'm going to do. Uh, but just to go on the basketball thing a little bit, um, when you, you know, when you were jumping into sports media, was basketball the first calling for you or was it always baseball? It was always baseball. So the path to where I am now, um, in between there was a stint as a political science professor. So I went to college. Um, I worked in title insurance for a few years, which was very much as boring as as that sounds. And (laughs) um, went back to grad school because I just, I had no plan whatsoever. It's like, well, I majored in political science. I'll go back to grad school for poli sci. And then really there much more than when I was an undergrad, I, I really got into it. I really enjoyed it. And so I had a professor that encouraged me to go on, beyond the master's to get a doctorate. And, and I did that. And in grad school, um, I was friends with a bunch of guys, well, actually basketball with a bunch of these friends. Hmm. Um, and all they would do when we were playing pickup basketball is talking about their sim baseball league. And, <laughs> and I, you know, I was probably the only one who wasn't a part of it. So, you know, after a while, I'm just like, is there an opening in this league? I, you know, <laughs> feel really left out here. And yeah. like, of course, you know, dude, next year, you know, if there's an opening, we'll, we'll let you in. And there was. And so then I just was, was hooked at that point and really became, uh, you know, kind of obsessed with baseball because as we all know, I had the players on my team, had to watch them whenever they were on ESPN or, you know, whenever they were playing the Orioles, cause that, that was the local team. I went sure, to sure. University of Maryland. Um, hmm. So yeah, so that's kind of, how things turned for me and, you know, and I graduated and got some academic jobs, but, you know, got just really got more and more into fantasy baseball and um, uh, eventually left academia. Um, And again, I'll try to make a long story really short here, but my wife and I had a commuter (laughs) marriage and that was horrible. So I just thought, well, anything's better than this. I'll move to, to Miami where, you know, where my wife is. And do something else. So I sent, uh, uh, there was an opening at Baseball HQ for a freelancer. And I sent an email to Ron Chandler. And incredibly, he hired me. And I was on my way. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, so there is a lot I do want to dissect there. Um, so first you <laughs> yeah. said it was, it was a, uh, a sim league, right? So not a fantasy league. This is a simulation. Yeah, this was 1994. So I, I, if fantasy existed at that point, I wasn't aware of it. Right, it certainly right. didn't exist in the form we know it today. Oh, absolutely not. And uh, so, so as you 
I'm just trying to understand because look, I, I'm spoiled in this way, right? I mean, I, yes, I've been playing since like the early 2000s or so. I remember drafting with my friends during our 20 minute break in eighth grade that we had between 10 and 10:20, which is absurd to even consider a 20 minute draft, but that's how we did it. Um, and you know, I've been playing since then, but it's always been through Yahoo or ESPN or whatever. And yeah, I hear all the tales about like in the 90s, it wasn't that way. Uh, we didn't have those things. Um, I mean, do you remember the... So you have the Simulation League, and do you remember your first like, real fantasy baseball league that you were in? I'm not sure I remember the very first because I branched out 98 or 99. And um, I, I think I joined like a few leagues. So I know I remember I played on at least one league on ESPN, and it was just a public league. I just wanted to try it out. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that was, you know, it wasn't super memorable. I mean, it, they weren't like home <laughs> leagues. They weren't, you know, like with friends or anything. I didn't have any attachment. I don't think I stayed in any of those leagues more than a year or two. But, right. right. Um, yeah. So that, you know, but that was how I got you my. Know, I, I'm yeah. thinking about this question and I'm thinking to myself asking like, you know, uh, my dad when I was like 15 or so. When I was asking, how did you feel when you heard Stairway to Heaven the first time? And he's like, I mean, I don't know. I just thought it was a good song, Nick. Like, it wasn't like this <laughs> feeling of like, I know what this is now. Was, yeah, that's the same thing. Like, hey, how was your first league? I was like, I mean, it was it was a fantasy league. I don't, <laughs> I, don't I don't know. What I, I mean, I really consider my, my 1994 <laughs> Earl Weaver Baseball Team League my first league. It had, mm, okay. it had all the elements of fantasy baseball that I loved. Like, you know playing with friends, um, you know, being obsessive about the players on my roster and watching them on TV and, you know, making trades and just, you know, learning stuff from my league mates. Um, so to me, I don't, I don't really differentiate. And um, the thing is that it did give me a certain bias for a long time because I did try out these, these Roto leagues. Um, but it really took me a very, very long time to warm up to Roto. I played score sheet. Um, I played, I like playing head to head leagues because you got rewarded for a broader range of things than in Roto, which to me was more like playing in a sim league. You know, I was used to drafting teams where relievers mattered and bench players mattered and platooning sure. mattered and that kind of stuff. So the more granular, the better I liked it. And re- that was really the case up until I started full time at CBS, which was 2010. And in a way that I kind of dragged out my affinity for points leagues there, because at the time, certainly I think they were really the go-to place if you wanted to be a points league. And so really it was probably not until about like 2012 or so that like I started to become more of a roto guy. Hmm. It's funny because I mean, I think I started, uh, I mean, my, my major league was a roto league. Uh, and I, I think we, we, oh man, I'm trying to remember all this now. Like we had a head to head league that was like my friends or whatever through high school. And then going to college, we turned it into a new league at a Roto league. It was a 10 team or like 2008 or whatever, 2006 actually. And that was just like the league for me. I didn't know anything. I was, a, I, because I played baseball and they didn't, I felt like I knew things that, of course I didn't. And they were, you know, <laughs> they had their fan graphs renaissance way before I did. And I remember actually like 2010, 2011, finally having that moment of recognizing what these stats were and how to help my teams. 
Because uh, I remember like drafts where they would get like Anthony Rizzo. I'm like, who's Anthony Rizzo? I don't. Why are you getting that guy? Like, whatever. I don't care. You know, <laughs> trading for Madison Bumgarner in 2010. I'm like, okay. So it, it was, you know, I had that moment and I finally started actually winning them um, in 2012. But that, that turned me into that Roto guy. Like, that's the only thing that matters. It's all about the full season grind and all these little changes. And I think it was when... We, uh, I think actually when like pitcher gifts started in 2014 or pitcher list. So really, uh, when I, we had our staff leagues, I realized, okay, I need to play more head to head because that's actually the most common format. Uh, and I started doing the staff league stuff and it's way more fun. I'm with you. It, it's, you know, <laughs> fantasy baseball is like about having a good time and enjoyment and entertainment and head to head. Yes. It's not the purest. It's not, you know, Roto is more of a skill thing, and it's a more of a, be- a better indication of how you are through the entire season, just like real baseball. But man, head to head, you got to have that spirit of in- every single week matters. It brings more intensity to it. You get to trash talk one friend in particular every week. Like it's so much better, and it, it just—it's a small sacrifice to make to me. Of like the purity of Roto for the sake of the like you want a little bit of chaos you want a little bit of randomness because then it just makes for just better scenarios and unpredictability and you know the beauty of the human mind is our enjoyment of the unexpected that's how I feel so uh, head to head breach breeds that and it's wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, like I had said that I like playing those head to head points leagues because of getting rewarded for a broader range of of things. But actually, you're right. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's just the actual head to head nature of it, too, that probably for a long time made that my my preferred format. Because, again, like when I played in sim leagues, you would play a three or four game series against your opponents. Right. And, um, you know, there's just no substitute for that. But over time, I did come to appreciate the different layers of strategy that, that come with Roto and, you know, playing categories and, you know, paying attention to really? batting order position and things like that. So yeah, now I'm, I'm just open to all of it. <laughs> yeah. That, well, that's, that's the right approach Al. open to all of it and not, you know, not rigid in it. I, I like that a lot. Um, so I want to, I want to keep going about this tale that you have here. So you, did, were you from Maryland originally? Is that why you went to university of Maryland for, for graduate school? No, no. Um, I was around a lot. I was born in Chicago, grew up basically in Jersey, but both a little bit North Jersey. Went to Michigan for college. Um, and Maryland just had to Wayne State for my master's program. So I was, you know, staying local for that because um, uh, my wife, Mary Beth, and I, we stayed in Ann Arbor for a few years after graduating, worked there, and I, I commuted to Wayne State, got master's. But um, I just really liked the, the poli sci program. At, uh, and actually they call it government politics, uh, but the, the program there at College Park, there were just professors that I, I knew of um, that I liked. There was one in particular who was a visiting professor at Wayne State. So to be able to, you know, work with him in College Park, that, that was really the draw. So, um, so yeah, it was just another, another of many moves. I mean, I forgot. I, I knew before that you were a Michigan fan. Go Blue. My sister went there. Go blue. So, uh, and that was very, very devastating in uh, NCAA Ugh. tournament. But we're not gonna, we're not gonna go there. We're not gonna Thank touch you. that right now. <laughs> uh, but um, 
But yeah, I, I, I you do have to agree that they should have gone for the two, though. I don't. I, at the puzzle, I, oh, right? Man. Oh man, they did it in the Big Ten tournament too, where they were down by one to OSU, <laughs> had the ball, and they settled for a you know a, tor- a terrible three. They went for another three here. Just drive, just drive. That's all. That's what I tell the kids I coach. Like, just drive the ball. And you will get fouled, and you will get at least one free throw there. I mean, ah, just drive as if no one's in your way. Just do it. You can do this. And we we settled for a stupid jump shot, and of course we missed. I mean, ah, sorry. Anyway, so uh, Michigan, right? I should have I should have remembered that one. How could you ever leave Ann Arbor? Wonderful place. Um, and uh, yeah, so you said you had a, a commuter marriage. That must have been really tough. Like how did it was you know, How did that come yeah. to be? And uh, I'm very glad that you you ended that at some point, as far as the commuter part, not the marriage. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so how that that came to be was uh, that we made the decision. I mean, Marybeth and I have always just been people who like do what we want to do, um, and even mm-hmm. if it's not practical. And so one of those decisions was, well, we'll both go to grad school in the same discipline where jobs are incredibly scarce, but we'll somehow figure out how to make this work and find jobs in the same place together. And the good thing is we did manage to find jobs, um, but but not in the same place. And so um, I was a little bit ahead of her. I'd started a little earlier. So I graduated first and I got a job at Emory. We moved down to Atlanta. Um, she was still working on the dissertation. I got uh, another one year at the University of Mississippi. We moved again. She finished up her dissertation. Uh, well, actually, no, uh, no, she was still working on it. And then I got a job, like a, a tenure track job at Towson in Baltimore. So going back to Maryland. And um, and so she did finish up her, her PhD then, which was also convenient because we were really close to College Park at that point. And so, you know, then she was on the full-time job market and she you know, tried like crazy to find something, you know, reasonably close to, to Baltimore. And the one job offer offer she got was at Florida international in Miami. And I mean, the thing is, again, you, you count yourself lucky to get an offer wherever it is. Yeah. You know? Sure. Sure. So, um, so it's like, okay, we'll do this. We'll, so actually I take that. No, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So before the FIU thing, she got one job offer and was back at Ole Miss for, for a, a one year. So okay, we'll do we'll Baltimore to Oxford for a year, just a year. We'll make it work. And then, you know, we're getting towards the end of the one year. And then, yeah, the FIU offer is the only thing that came up for her. And uh, so we went into year two and it was just miserable. And I actually got an interview at FAU and thought, okay, all I got to do is get this. And, you know, we're, we're home free here, but didn't get that job. Actually had like the worst interview ever. That job. <laughs> wait, wait, I, uh, I want to hear this. Wait, what made what made oh, that the gosh. worst interview ever? Really, really bad decision making on my part. Um, <laughs> I, I was not super productive as an academic, you know, research wise. Okay, and um, so I kind of had a choice that I can like recycle my dissertation for the thirtieth time, or I can like start something new and talk about it kind of in its infancy stage. Mm-hmm. And I chose option B. And it wasn't really in line with what the job was they were hiring for. They absolutely skewered me 
from the get-go at this interview. Oh, they said, no. well, I thought this was a, you know, public policy, public administration position. And you're, you know, talking about political theory. And it was just a disaster. Oh, my. Okay. So uh, how old were you at this moment? Okay. So I must have been 33, I guess. Yeah. So, so I'm just imagining. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So I'm imagining me squirming in my chair as I try to like sell this, uh, my, my political theory to them and i can just see the cold daggers uh getting sent my way of their stairs and just oh no oh no oh i'm so sorry al well y- you landed on your feet certainly um and actually <laughs> and i, and I, yeah. I do want to say this um i know it's a, like 11 years too late i think you said in 2010 you kind of stopped the whole commuter part of the marriage and you actually like became you know that was no that was 99 Oh, that was 99. So okay. 99 was when we stopped commuting. Um, so I just, that, that was the point where I just said to heck with it. Um, I'm, you know, just going to go to Florida and, and figure it out. And um, it actually did wind up uh, a few years later going back into academia after I swore I would never do that again. Oh, because wow. my wife got this job at FIU. And then like a year or two in, she got really into yoga mm-hmm. and wanted to do that full time. And she hated uh, her job. <laughs> okay. So the chair of the department actually hired me to replace her. <laughs> so <laughs> crazy, crazy stuff. Oh, um, that's wild. So that, that was temporary. It was just for a year. Um, so that, and then from there I went to teaching high school. So I, I didn't leave education. So yeah, I mean, my first like decade plus in Florida, I was a website editor, um, a market research analyst for Sportsline, which was a very uh, circuitous way I wound up with CBS. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, taught college for a year, taught high school. I worked for the Federal Reserve Bank branch in Miami uh, for for three plus years, uh, doing economic education uh, there. So yeah, the, the the first you know eleven years or so was just trying to find my wow. my footing, and it, I felt like it didn't really happen until I got hired by CBS. You know, I think this is such an important thing to note. Like, you know, what you're doing now is, is fantastic and you're doing an incredible job at it. And you have been doing it for a good amount of time now, being inside the industry and being a, a welcome voice inside of it. But it it's not something that happens overnight. And this is the thing I, I, I keep yeah. bringing up in these is that there is a journey. There is a long path. And even... You know, I've, I've seen people that have been on it for a couple of years and they get frustrated and stuff. And I just want everyone to know, like, yeah, we understand it. I mean, it's going to be yeah. rough. We've all all gone through that. Um, but uh, but also, I mean, I guess I'm 22 years late, Al. But I just want to say I am so happy for you that you finally have, you know, are able to be in the same place as your wife. And uh, I'm just I'm just I'm just really happy for you, even though that happened in 1999. I'm just for, for, I guess that's 33 year old Al, as you were saying, or something like that. But I'm at that point, so happy, Al. Yeah. I'm so happy, Al. Congrats. <laughs> you, you I much it. appreciate it, Nick. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate yeah. we had to go through those, those two years uh, to get there. And then, you know, neither of us wound up really sticking with academia in the, in the final, you know, final analysis of it. But, you know, the, the path to, to doing fantasy baseball full time. I mean, yeah, it started with that letter to Ron Chandler and freelancing for him in Baseball HQ for six or seven years and then giving up because I was teaching high school, which is an incredibly um, demanding job. And I just felt like I didn't have the bandwidth to to do the fantasy writing anymore. I mean, I still played, but um, 
So I, I gave up at that point and really was not in that world for about two years. And then, so and this is kind of a, again, a kind of a circuitous story, but so when I worked for Sportsline in 2002, 2003, working in sales development as a market research guy, and I got to know all the editorial people, including, by the way, like people like Tristan Cockcroft and Scott Engel, who are, you know, still in our community. Yeah. And, um, and I made it very well known that I wanted to be on that side of it, not where I was. And um, so, and then I quit and moved on there and, you know, replaced my wife at FO and then went on to high school and then kind of just gave up on the idea of, you know, writing about baseball fantasy or otherwise, you know, just totally gave up on it. And then I got a call from Mark Swanson, you know, at that time been the editor at CBS and, you know, said, do you want to, do you want a full-time job here? And, um, and then it, at that point, that was, yeah, that actually was then I got the offer to teach high school. So I passed on that. And then he called me again. He actually said, you, you want to go to a Marlins game? Like, yeah, sure. So went to a Marlins game and then like around the sixth inning, he springs his eyes like, remember when you, you wanted to work at CBS and, you know, freelance and, you know, they didn't do that. And I said, yeah, I said, well, they do that now. Do you connect you with, with Peter Madden? Who's the, the fantasy editor. So that, so for two years I wrote freelance for CBS and then eventually they, they found a way to bring me on full time. How does it feel so, to be courted I, through a Marlins game? You know, that, that's like a dream. <laughs> like someone invites me to a baseball game and then I'm courted for a job that is just like apps, everything that you'd ever want. Right. You know, I mean, you, you really can't ask for more than just the experience of going to the Marlins game and then to have that on top of it. No, it was awesome. It was, it was really awesome. And it's just at the time, I don't even think I fully appreciated just what a, a weird and wonderful circumstance that was that I wanted this thing so bad for several years, gave up on it. And then it, it found me. Yeah. And I, you yeah, know, you talk about the fact that it's like, it's, it's the long haul, <laughs> you know, it's, it doesn't happen overnight for most people, but <clears throat> I have to say, I was very fortunate because you know, usually when it does happen for people, it's because they grind and grind and grind and grind. And I actually gave up on the grind and still mm-hmm. was able to do it. So I just am very lucky in that way. And uh, so you say you said that you sent a letter to Ron Chandler. And, yeah. Uh, you email, know, no one yeah. no one does that. Okay, okay. So you sent you sent an email, but what was what was that email like to Ron that made him say, "All right, you know what? Mm, okay, I'll take a chance on Al Malkior." But first, a quick word from this episode's sponsor. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. 
Uh, you know, I mean, it's a long time ago now, so I don't really remember the particulars too well. But it, it, you know, on Baseball HQ, they had um, solicited for you know probably four or five different freelance positions, and one was for score sheet. And I actually hadn't really played score sheet that long, but I had played sim games in general for now for several years. Mm-hmm. So again, apparently, I made a good enough base that I knew Sims well enough. I think, and if Ron is listening or finds out, I hope he lets me know if I'm wrong about this. I think he may have liked it that I had a PhD and, you know, thought maybe that that would, and I I probably made the case in the letter that, you know, I do all this quantitative stuff as a part of my everyday life as a, you know, professor and researcher. And, and I, you know, so I think that might've appealed to him. All right. Nice. And obviously it's completely different. I mean, I'm just imagining being in the back end of a website, I guess it was the pre-WordPress days. It must have been. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. No, I think they had their own publishing tool. It was yeah, very different from anything we would use now. <laughs> oh man. And uh, is that like through that? Is that how you became? You said a, a website editor. Um, is that was that through? Uh, not really, but else? yeah, I, you know, I not directly anyway. Maybe I, I probably did put that in some cover letters that you know, hey, I could do this, but. Um, Actually, it was right around the same time I started freelancing for HQ. My first job that I had, my first full-time job that I had when I moved to Florida was being a freelance writer and then a full-time editor slash writer for a website called ShopServe, which is hard to describe, but I, I, I always described it to people as it's like, it was like consumer reports for stuff on the web. So okay. like the site would have reviews of of other webs of like commercial you know e-commerce websites and so this was yeah this was like 99 98 98 9 so like this was this was the the dot-com boom right so and this is, was like a really novel thing at there that was time. a big big necessity back then for discovery it, it, it's it really is a fun topic if you want to go down this route uh of just how the internet has shifted from how we consume it um, from, I mean, back then there were, there were things like stumble upon, for example, uh, where users would submit interesting links to it. And then you just click the button and it would send you a random one. And then if you liked it, you would then encourage the algorithm to then make it more of a, a higher thing. That would be like a higher chance for other people to see it too. Uh, but as far as like finding websites, it was really hard. And Google was kind of getting there. There were there was Dogpile. There was uh, Ask Jeeves way back in the beginning. I yep. Mean, uh, Yahoo obviously had theirs too. Um, but just finding things that you wanted uh, was really hard. And there was no aggregates. I mean, now we have like Twitter to send us to yeah. those things. You know, no one actually like goes searching for websites anymore it feels like it's all you only go to a website through a person or uh or a link on reddit or something like that that brings you to that website but the actual act of finding it is like it's a google search maybe and that's it and chop serve from what you're describing makes perfect sense because it's like here's the sea of the internet there isn't so much that matters but there are some significant things you're probably like really curious what is this and okay we'll we'll tell you the ones that are actually like worth your time and not that makes so much sense that does not today but certainly did then yeah (laughs) it it was hard to describe back then and it's probably even harder now so you you really captured that perfectly so yeah um 
I started out freelancing for them. Then, you know, with a matter of a few months, they hired me full time as an editor. So then, yeah, that that'll that enabled me to get the next editing job uh, when that dot com uh, eventually did bust, and I was able to get another job um, actually in a physical brick and mortar building in Miami at a place called the Barda. Um, and so like when you go to a hotel and they have those magazines out, like if you're going to Chicago and it's like, you know, Chicago magazine and here's what to see and do, they published those and they needed somebody to edit the online versions of them. Hmm. So that was the job I got. Um, the next job I got as a website editor. And, nice. uh, that was the bridge, I guess, between shop serve and, uh, and CBS. So by the time I got to CBS, I had been writing for HQ for a couple of years. So like when I introduced myself to people like um, uh, Tristan and Scott, like they they knew who I was, which kind of amazed me. But, you know, they they were familiar with HQ. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, I hear this a lot. (laughs) Like uh, when we think about um, I mean, it can be very easy. I mean, these days it's I'm easily in like the last five years bubble of the fantasy industry, you know, like who's doing what now. And we forget that like a lot of people, yourself included, started at HQ. I mean, Baseball HQ was the, you know, their impact on the fantasy industry is unparalleled in many ways. Um, and uh, it, it's pretty remarkable uh, how much sprouted from there. Yeah, yeah. And a, a lot of people from back in the day, I mean, now we're talking more than 20 years ago. So weird to say that when I was freelancing there and, um, you know, Brent and Ray, uh, you know, are, are there and, uh, um, you know, I'm sure there are several others, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's really incredible. Yeah. Oh man. And I, I got to, I had the pleasure of course, uh, meeting them in, um, person both at Arizona and Florida, two wonderful people, um, Brent and Ray and Ray too, obviously, um, as well. And I can't wait. Oh, Al, I mean, I'm crossing my fingers, but uh, I very much hope that we'll see each other in Arizona uh, later on uh, this year. Yeah, no, it's a great thing. And we've all all missed that, whether it's, you know, that event or Tout Wars or other places. It's really the only place places I've been able to see you in person. Yeah, right. Oh, God, it's, it's so great, too. Um, the uh, the other thing I wanted to, to mention with you. So you uh, so you're with CBS for a bit. Really cool thing. Um, I mean, in so many ways. It takes a lot of work, though, to do the fantasy baseball today. Uh, I don't think um, it's... It, I, you don't really get a full sense of it until you're kind of trying to do the same thing a little bit. Like, I do the First Pitch Podcast Monday through Friday, right? Um, and that thing is just 15 minutes long. Uh, but fantasy baseball today, an hour-long show. Uh, and you get a, a spot on this. Uh, and, and what was that like for you jumping onto it? What was the whole, the, you know, the experience? I'm, and, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm chuckling because I'm thinking back to my very first time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had started there. Day one was like filling out paperwork, you know, getting my computer set up. Sure. Day two, probably about 930. Peter Madden walks over. You know, again, he's the fantasy editor. And he's like, go hop on a podcast. Now, you have to understand when I was hired, the job I was hired in my title, the actually the entire time I was there was data analyst. So they had just gotten a, um, uh, uh, an agreement or license. Uh, I'm not sure what the proper term is with uh, Tableau when Tableau was pretty okay. new and they yeah. wanted, um, 
somebody who could come in and do data visualizations for fantasy. So that was my main thing. But, uh, you know, Peter alluded to the fact that, you know, I'd be doing, you know, I'd be writing columns, of course, and, you know, doing some other things. But my recollection is I did not know I'd be doing podcasts. <laughs> so <laughs> stuck really the first day, you know, for all intents and purposes, he's like, go hop on this podcast. And I, I literally just sat there and said like one thing for the entire hour. <laughs> so it was, it was an uphill climb for me. And I give props to, um, you know, certainly Scott White, but r- really Adam Azer, like probably most of all, because um, he was super patient with me and really kind of coached me along to the point mm-hmm. where, you know, I was somewhat competent. So um, it, it took a while. And then, and then, you know, not long after that, they had doing videos, which again, right, was not right. something I had necessarily envisioned <laughs> that I was doing. And I will tell you who was really critical there in teaching me was Lauren Shahadi, hmm. who of course has gone on to MLB network. Right. Right. Um, of course. But, you know, Scott, Adam, Lauren, um, you know, I, I certainly, I, I know I'm being remiss and leaving some people out, but like they, especially, I, I remember being extremely helpful. Um, Absolutely. Well, getting when me going you start? there. February, 2010. Okay. So basically as, spring as podcasting. Yeah. So yeah, I started there February, 2010. I started podcasting February, 2010. Like, wow. Basically like my first full day of work, man. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to like wrap my head around, right. Podcasting was a thing back then and huge. I mean, barely. Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and I gotta say like CBS fantasy baseball today, there's a reason why that is, I think the most listened to fantasy baseball podcast, not just because, um, not because I mean they do it every single day and they do a great job with it. Uh, but it's also been over a decade uh, of it. I mean that's whew, it's not easy to pull off something like that uh, with that kind of quality consistently. Um, and and the fact yeah. I mean yeah you were when you jumped in was that like the first podcast of it or had it already been established at that point? It had been established and yeah podcasts were not the thing that they became like even just like a year later. So right. I think they may have been pretty early on in the curve for that. And by the way, you know, I, I, I want to be really clear about something too, because, you know, I, I don't mean to demean how much Scott White helped me in, in, in so many ways at CBS. Um, but part of the reason I didn't, you know, like elevate him to the level of Adam was because he actually, for the first year or maybe even two that I worked there, he worked a night shift. So mm. I actually didn't see Scott that much my first year there. Um yeah, it was, it was, they had established themselves there, but it was very much a developing thing. Yeah, sure. Oh man. Uh, I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to envision. I mean, so you guys were, you had a little podcast room and stuff. Was it, mm-hmm. you know, did it feel like a radio station? Did it feel like just some random mics <laughs> around a table? It, uh, yeah, it was more yeah, random mics around a table because the way pretty much it worked the whole time I was there was that we would use an office that wasn't being used. Okay. And there sometimes it was scheduled. Sometimes it wasn't. So it was like, Oh, we're meeting in this conference room. Oh no, wait, we're meeting in that one. And you know, we're like <laughs> moving stuff across the office. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the nature of it. I'm trying to remember if we ever really had a dedicated space and mm-hmm. I don't recall we ever, ever did there was not like a podcast studio there was there were dedicated spaces as you would expect for video uh right of course they had some pretty pretty cool facilities for that but yeah podcast that was 
that's a little bit of a, a makeshift enterprise. Yeah, I mean, it's a uh, well, it's obviously completely different now. I mean, we're doing this, and we are thousands of miles away from each other, right? As we do it right now. Um, obviously, Fast and I have a little thing set up, as you guys have probably seen from like if you've been watching on Twitch or whatever, twitch.tv slash pitchlist. Gotta plug it once. No. Um, that like, I have a table <laughs> behind me <laughs> of like a, a you know Roadcaster Pro and everything, and and two RE twenty mics for Fast and me. Um, but I uh, it's it's really I don't I, podcasting is is more accessible than ever to do. Um, and it's yeah, it's become something that I didn't think that I would be into. Um, and when Fast you know brought me or started started uh, helping out with Pitcherless back in two thousand sixteen. Like the one of the first things he said was, "I want to do a podcast." And I was like, "Yes, let's do that," because like I feel like I should exist with us, and I didn't have someone else to do it with, and I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I mean, I I I didn't have the option, sadly, Al, just to sit there and say one word for the entire episode. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I had to just kind of go with it. Um, and man, I mean, I, I'm curious about this. I know how I feel about it with myself, but. I feel like I've changed that as a person because of it uh, in, in like a good way of getting like more confidence in public speaking and that kind of thing. Uh, have you like felt yourself, I don't know, shift in any ways like through podcasting or kind of through what you do with CBS? Yeah. Yeah. Now I would say maybe in a little different way because the one thing <laughs> that I was pretty confident in um, at that point when I started working for CBS full time was, was public speaking because I'd been a professor, but, um, right. Right. But, but obviously this is a, this is a very different thing. And the thing is in the, you know, in the classroom situation, you kind of control the agenda and, um, yeah, podcast is really different. It's, it's more interactive. You're, you're putting it out to like a, you know, ostensibly a much, much bigger public, certainly CBS, you're putting it out to a much, much bigger public. So it got me a lot more, comfortable. Um, I don't want to say it, it made me more extroverted because I'm still super, super introverted, but I think it did push me a little bit on that continuum, a little bit towards extroversion, uh, having to do that. Right. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, I, I keep remembering, right. You were a, a high school teacher uh, and like, what was that? Like, what kind of teacher were you? Were you a strict one? Did you set the tone? Were you kind of loose with it? Uh, gosh, I mean, my students would be would be better people to ask about that because, like, I always thought of myself as like really, you know, really loose. Mm-hmm. And um, th- so, this is not high school, but when I taught at Towson, uh, my parents came to visit one time, and um, they stayed in a, in a hotel, and they must have been chit chatting with. Um, with the, the person at the desk at the hotel because they found out that it was one of my students and and they're like, Oh, your, your son is Dr. Melker. Oh my God. He's, he's such a hard ass. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, really? Oh, that's amazing. By the way, I don't know how I've been uh, holding back calling you Dr. Melchior um, this entire time. My apologies. It's really okay. <laughs> I, I won't make the same mistake again. I will not, but I, uh, so, so I mean, yeah, yeah. it was weird enough. I did uh, did a music podcast with my nephew, and the the first time he referenced me, I called me Uncle Al. But that's a <laughs> that's a different <laughs> thing. Uh, uh, so, anyways, yeah, back to your question, which I'm really you know sidestepping nicely here. Uh, I I do think I was was 
I don't want to say lax, but I mean, yeah, definitely not, not an, uh, like a, a disciplinarian, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think, you know, and looking back, it's something I sort of regret a little bit. Um, oh, really? I think, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't think it's in me to be a, a, a total disciplinarian, but I do wish I had wielded the authority I had a little, little more firmly. Um, cause sure. I think there's, you know, students who, who, you know, I, in fact, there were students who basically told me that, that they, you know, they, they wish I had done that. So, um, well, I mean, yeah. I've, been, I've been in those kinds of situations a bit through my life. Uh, I, I guess I kind of choose it. I don't know, but like I was a, I was a counselor at camp, right? I, I was a counselor at a day camp and then I was counselor at the summer camp that I went to when I was a kid, Camp Beckett, the best camp ever. Um, uh, it was an all boys camp. I was the, uh, the counselor there for two years Had four different, as they have as cabins, so essentially monthly sessions with eight kids. Um, you have a counselor. I was a counselor and then there was an assistant counselor. And as I like, kept going, I kept understanding like how authority is supposed to be done. And um, mm-hmm. like I was 19, 20 doing this uh, with 12 and 13 year olds. Um, and the, uh, I think the thing I learned the most with that was at first I, I just, you know, I thought I had like, I had this certain power that I had to wield. I saw a certain way that was supposed to be, and I had to make sure it was going to be exactly that all the way through. Um, like adhering to the rules of the camp and following through with that. And like, I want, I, I envisioned the cabin this way. It's going to be that way. And I was like that my first year. And uh, my, 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 like a second session that year was just, it was the worst. Like, oh my God, I messed up so badly. <laughs> uh, they were, they were pushing against the wall. And I didn't know how to deal with it. And they just made it worse and worse. Uh, when I say pushing against the wall, it's like, Every kid is going to figure out how far they can go in this dark room. They don't know yeah. like how far they can push you. So they're feeling out for the wall. And I just, I messed that up badly. Anyway, come back next year. And um, I kind of realized, all right, Nick, like uh, you don't need to be that rule like king, right? It doesn't need to be so strict <laughs> like that. You need to... You need to have the relationship be, yes, there are certain things that you, because you respect me, are going to then respect because you don't want to make my life worse. And if that's the approach, you know, if, if you if you make it so it's like, hey, don't follow the rules because I say so. If at any point you need to say, like, don't do that because I say so, you have messed up. You've lost it. It's yeah. gone. You know, um, it needs, it, it, that's the thing I, I've tried the most is like, hey, I'm setting high expectations for you. It's easier to give something to them than take it away. So start really high and then remove restrictions as opposed to start really low and then yeah. add restrictions. Um, so we say we're going to be at this. Then they'll love you when you say by the third week of four weeks that we're not going to do that anymore. You are the coolest. You're the best. <laughs> You know, instead of doing a reverse where you don't have that restriction in the last two weeks, you add it like, no, man, you're the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's really good advice. And that was advice I had in mind. Like I I had heard that, you know, that was the way you should handle it. And I just never did. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's so hard. It it took, it took me until I had like a really cool group of kids. Like when I, when you're a camp counselor, you don't get to choose who like is going to be assigned to you. And I got really fortunate to get a really cool group that I was, you know, and also it's like a struggle for myself as your own identity of 
you know, how you like it was emotions and everything that you have to wrestle with to be able to, uh, you know, to demand that respect too, right? And like, it's okay, Nick, that they aren't doing exactly the right thing. Like, all right, you know, you can either make a decision of being upset at them for it. Or you can say like, hey, I know that you're doing that. Like, don't worry, man. Like, I understand what you're going through. Like, or that you just did that. Like, I'm not going to report on everybody. But you know, of course, that if you keep doing that kind of thing, I can't let that keep happening, right? And like, then you just like talk to yeah. like an adult and everything is fine. And it's wonderful, you know? Um. So, yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I just went on a whole like, <laughs> like authoritarian, authoritarian. No, no, no. No, no. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, and, you know, and I think about it a lot, Nick, because I, I think it, not that I would want to go back to that. It's a hard, hard job. But yeah. if I did go back to it, I think I would be much better at it now than I was then when I was, you know, roughly 40. Mm. And I, I actually didn't I I haven't asked you this before. I don't know how. Uh, do you have any kids? Nope, nope, no, no, no human kids. Uh, <laughs> no, no have, human uh, kids. What uh, you have? Dogs, <laughs> I assume, or cats? We have yeah, you know, one dog, three cats, including one who's taking a, a nap right by the laptop here, um, oh, and two horses. Cool. Two horses. Oh, right. You were mentioning that before. I I think before the call about like uh, from Montana. Part of the reason why, um, and like so, you, so you you have a place that you're moving to in two weeks uh, in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. um. So enough space to 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 keep your horses then? Correct. Yeah, yeah, almost nine acres. So um, amazing. Yeah, we we've been in Montana for five years, and really, our biggest intention in moving here uh, from South Florida was uh, to to get some property. And it's Mm -hmm. just prices here are um, I I don't even really have the proper words to explain what's happened to real estate here. Um, Right, right. It's really astronomical. And, um, so yeah, so we're, we're going back to where we, we can now buy a place. Wait, wait. And, so, uh, when we lived in Florida, that's actually when we, we got our first horse and we lived in a community where, um, we had a townhouse and mm-hmm. our horse was like directly across the street from us. Like there was a, the way my wife describes it to people is like, it's like when, if you move into like townhouse community and there's like a pool or like a gym in the middle, you know, where everybody congregates. Right. It's set up like that, but instead it was like a pasture and a barn Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, in the middle. So it was awesome because, you know, we were right there. I was like 20 minutes from the office at CBS and and like we could literally see our horse from our our bedroom window. So the goal was always like to own a place where we could do that. Now, now we finally will. I've been trying, I've been holding back as much as I can here because, okay, so you have two horses, Al. And yeah. do you do you ride them? And well, one cannot be ridden because uh, okay. he broke a femur when he was much Aww. younger. But so he's fine now, but just can't can't be ridden. But right, so right. that's that's the horse we've adopted more recently. That's Finnegan. Um, and mm. so Jay is the one we we had in Florida that we came here with. And I ride Jay occasionally, not as often as oh Mary God. Beth does. But oh uh, my God, Al. Al, okay. I need uh, this is this is I'm sorry, but this is a requirement. I need a photo <laughs> of you uh, uh riding uh Jay. Um Okay. Like that. And and also and make sure your hair is long. Um I need I need you to have the mane to match your horse. <laughs> I need a, I need a sun over your left shoulder. 
as you stand tall, don't look at the camera. Do not look at the camera. Um, and this needs to be your new profile picture uh, on, on that's Twitter. That's a big ask there, Nick. It um. is, I know. <laughs> but I, I mean, it's a big ask because every single person yeah. listening to this is going to say, where is it? Where is it now? Can I go and see it now? So when this when this uh, drops, we're recording this a couple like uh, almost two weeks beforehand. So you got time, yeah. okay? I uh, yeah, that's the thing. I I, I don't have much time because we're oh, we're moving. Oh. And don't know. I'll, I'll try to make that happen. And I will say it's limit limited time, Nick, because the long hair is an artifact of of the the pandemic, right? And um, when I get my second shot right before we leave. And I get there and I wait my two weeks. I I am getting a haircut, and I'm probably going to well, shave okay, your too. Well, okay, so so you gotta, you gotta. There's only so much time, Al. The people need this. <laughs> oh, that would make you so happy. Oh my god, I would love it. And it's got to be. You got to wear flannel, something flannel with the jeans, right? Yeah, I'm sure you have this. You must. I do have one flannel shirt. Yes. There it is. Okay, good, good. <laughs> Back straight, standing tall, confident. You know, oh, I can't wait. I, I, I really, I really can't wait now. Um, but uh, another, another thing that I did want to. Uh, you've mentioned so many things about your life that I think find so fascinating. But one I really want to uh, talk to you about is you said you went on your um, your nephew's music podcast. Well, he went on my music podcast. Oh, he it was went time on yours. for me to make okay. a shameless plug. Yeah, me and an good. album, Nick. <laughs> you need an so album. yeah, he right. is. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he, yeah, I recorded the episode just this week. It will drop on Sunday, but I don't know when this one's dropping. So I don't know uh, if it's, it's already out. out it's already out. out. This one, yeah, this is going to be. We're recording this guys on April third. Um, this will, you know, the date as it drops, but it, it's on Wednesdays. It's the next one after this. Okay, so yeah, keep going. You me in an album with my with my <laughs> uh, nephew Andrew. That will be at a uh, podcast platform for you wonderful and i uh, what made you start a podcast called uh me you and an album you me and an album you meet an album um, oh, i got you, <laughs> me, and an album. Oh, which by the way uh mary beth came up with i love love the name um oh it's great so uh i mean i, I could give you a very specific story but i you know what i i had lost my work with with fan graphs uh at the start of the the pandemic and the, you know, shutdown of, of everything sports. Right. Um, you know, work at, at the athletic had been scaled back at that point, which, you know, I'm very grateful for it. I haven't wrapped up. Um, but I had some time on my hands. So I spent a lot of that time listening to music, taking online guitar lessons, um, ultimately taking zoom drum lessons. Um, wow. so definitely music became a, bigger thing for me in the past year. And then, so yeah. with, with that kind of as the backdrop, um, I started, you know, following more musicians on Twitter. And one of them is Laura kid who goes, her, her recording name is, is pen friend. And she tweeted something out about how she was listening to Elvis Costello. And she was sort of embarrassed about how little of his catalog she really knew. And I thought, well, I can relate to that because there's so much music that I know. I don't know that I should know. Sure. And so I replied to her and said, that would be a great idea for a podcast. And that really, that was like my initial reaction was like, oh, I can relate to this tweet. And I would so listen to a podcast about like music she's catching up on. And mm-hmm. um, 
you know, and she just kind of, you know, her, she did reply. <laughs> she actually re- replied, but, you know, said something just, you know, sort of like, LOL. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so I thought, well, maybe I should just do it myself. And so yeah. I, so I did. Oh, that's, that's great. So before this, I know that you also had a, a Twitter account um, that was musically uh, um, right. associated. That was, a, uh, tell us what that is. <laughs> I remember talking to you and Alex about this. Oh yeah, uh, the the last uh, Arizona uh, uh, Fall League that um, HQ puts on. Uh, so yeah, it is called Toto Thoughts, and <laughs> I started that when I was in the the midst of a, a major like year and a half long Toto binge. And this is what I do with music. This is what I have done with music since I'm a teenager. Is I find an album and or a band that I like. And I just delve into it as deeply as I can. And I uh, kind of don't even have a choice about it. I just, you know, once I like a band, I want to just hear, hear their music all the time. So when Weezer did the cover of Africa, Michael Young Mm -hmm. of, you know, Texas Rangers fame, he tweeted something about his son saying he liked the Weezer version more. And I'm like, Weezer version, what Weezer version of Africa? (laughs) So that was the first I had heard of it and I checked it out and then I kind of just went down the rabbit hole because I liked Toto growing up, like the first few albums, but when they put out Toto four, I didn't really like it that much and kind of just stopped paying attention to them. And so I went back and like, listened to the, you know, like the, the nine studio albums they put out after I stopped paying attention and each one, you know, seemed to be better than the last one. So, um, I, you know, felt so familiar with each of their albums and had things I wanted to say about them. I thought, well, I'm just going to start a Twitter account and have something to say about every single song they've ever recorded on a studio album. So I, I, okay. So I haven't really done my dive into Toto. Um, And I mean, I don't know if you know this. I actually, funny enough, I think I told Alex Chamberlain this in the last podcast, but I want to remind everybody. uh, All of you know, I, um, when I do my SP roundup, right, that, that those thirty starters every day, that kind of thing, um, I have on repeat Africa playing by Toto the entire time. I did not know that. Okay, it's just it's a vibe. It's it just started <laughs> once, like, and it just made it easy. Like normally, I can't really listen to music while write, but Toto Africa, I can. It's just a feeling. It's like I've just triggered this for myself or whatever conditioning all that kind of stuff so now my one of our developers has gone the the extra step and made it that when i actually add the players to the back end of wordpress it automatically starts playing africa by toto (laughs) it it he surprised me with it i didn't even know it just started happening i was so confused until i realized what he did and I'm still like giddy about it. It's the funniest, the most amazing thing ever. That's Brett Goldhammer. Unbelievable. Give, but give I, Brett I, I, a big you, race. I know that's everyone says exactly <laughs> that. And I, I can't, I don't feel any differently. Like, yes, I, I so agree with it. Um, but, but I, but I knew that of all people, you would appreciate that. Of course, with Toto thoughts, um, yes. on, uh, on Twitter, uh, and I, and you know what, Al, I do need to go into and listen to Toto. I mean, it's really Roseanne and Hold the Line. Though that's like the only three I think I know, obviously, with, with Africa of Toto. All mm-hmm. great songs. So um, I think you were saying that Roseanne is the best Toto song. Is that right? 
Oh, no, no, no. Um, I mean, it's a great song. It's a great uh-huh. song. Um, but yeah, actually, I, I ranked my favorite Toto songs. And the, the one that, that was my favorite when I did the rankings probably still is, is uh, a song called Lion from the album they oh. did after they did Rosanna in Africa on, on, uh, on Toto 4. So, um, but yeah, um, it's, a, it's a great I'll, song, I'll but listen. there's just, okay, but they, there's, yeah, great songs throughout, throughout the decades from Toto. <laughs> Sure. And I, uh, and before, like before you started this music podcast, um, how, you know, music, obviously, I mean, now it's a major part of it, but was it before the pandemic too? I mean, it has to have been right. Yeah. It, that's been one of the things, you know, in the past year that I've really like learned about myself is, I mean, I've always known that, you know, music was important to me, but like, I didn't understand how much that it's, it's like something I have to do every day. Um, really to, you know, to kind of feel my best. So, sure. um, yeah, it's hugely important to me. So, and so uh, I mean, you, you're saying yeah. you, you just learned drums through zoom, which is so awesome, by the way, I'm assuming it's like a Roland V drum set or something like electronic jump set. <laughs> uh, so no, I do not have a drum set. <laughs> I will have one when we move into the new place, but we didn't <laughs> want to buy a drum set and then move it. Okay, so I am playing on a practice pad. I'm using oh, my yeah. guitar okay. as a hi hat mm-hmm. and some cardboard boxes uh, for Tom's. Oh, that's so awesome! Okay, and uh, how did you find the person that's giving you lessons? All right, so um, this is another just incredible thing. So you know, I talked about being in a big like Toto, um, uh, uh, big uh, you know fest like big, for like more than a year. Yeah. So. Um, there are several groups that I've really been listening to a lot over the past year. One of them is a group called unwound. Okay. And I listened to a podcast with their drummer, Sarah Lund, an interview with her. And she just very offhandedly mentioned that she teaches drums. So I got in touch with her and I initially did it to see if, if as for a surprise gift for Mary Beth, if she had any availability and she did. So Yeah. So I, <laughs> Mary Beth has actually just taken one lesson with her so far just because of her schedule. But yeah, I've been taking regular lessons for uh, yeah, for probably about six months now. Oh, that's great, man. Uh, that's so exciting. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's super exciting because I'm, like, I'm yeah. learning drums and I'm learning it from one of my favorite yeah, drummers now. So. That's, that's incredible. That's like, that's like yeah. you're living the dream, Al. You know? <laughs> You really are. Um, and as far as guitar goes, you're saying that you've been like playing some here. Is this something new or have you been playing guitar for a long time? I, I've been playing guitar. Uh, I don't even know how to answer that. I have played guitar on and off for a long time, but never seriously, never well. Mm-hmm. In fact, I remember talking with Alex, probably was in Arizona, and he was telling me about playing bass and asked me if I played anything. I said, I play, I play guitar, but really badly. So <laughs> now I play guitar less badly. There you go. That's good. You know, <laughs> look, I feel it's so important for um, for people to have a music avenue. Uh, I, I, it's it doesn't matter what you listen to. Why we like the music we listen to is you know, no one can truly explain it. Who cares? But you like the music you like and uh, have some sort of expressions. Most people it's just singing. Uh, but uh, for me, I had my uh, discovery of guitar when I was like sixteen to seventeen, right around there. And it 
it's never left me. Um, it, it's I'm happy you're not playing as badly as before. I uh, and, and I'm, I'm, I think you're playing well now is what I'm going to assume. Are you are you playing to create or are you playing to replicate? That is, are you? How do you get your most the most enjoyment from? It? Is it from just coming up with things and noodling, or is it like, oh, I want to play that song and uh, and play that on guitar? Well, I'm so glad you asked this question because I am playing to replicate, and I kind of went in with the intention of creating, and maybe that will come. I'm not feeling sure. really confident in my ability mm-hmm. to to create original stuff. Um, so I'm really happy and content to just, you know, figure stuff out that, oh, yeah, you there, know, that yeah, there's no know, right answer fig- here. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think I put some judgment on it. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but no, what's, what's been interesting with me with drums and why I've frankly, I've kind of put, been putting more energy in drums is because I think that's more my thing. I, th- I think that's, that's more my jam. And, um, which I didn't expect. Cause like I said, I played guitar on and off, like probably since my teens. Well, definitely right, since my right. teens, um, you know, drums is, drums is a brand new thing for me. Never even tried it before. And I'm not saying I'm particularly good at it yet, but, but I, I, I could see myself being more kind of creative and inventive with it, especially once I, my chops are better. Oh man. I get it. I, I feel like that. I get, I get it better. Yeah, sure. You feel the pocket and the groove and everything. Um, I've been I've been joking a lot with the staff. Uh, like for example, Alex plays bass. I play guitar. Ben Palmer plays guitar too. There's Yancey plays uh, drums. We're gonna have a picture with Didn't band at some point. It's gonna be called Toby and the Boyd Boys. Uh, I, I this is <laughs> obviously gonna happen at some point. Uh, I can't wait. And I uh, I mean. You know, for me, like guitar has always been. I remember writing like the worst things ever. I got the guitar in my hands. I remember like a week later, I was like, "Dad, listen to this thing." It was trash. It was absolutely <laughs> just trash. But my dad's like, "Uh huh, great." And I'm like 16. This isn't like me, like eight or something. This is like at 16, and I needed that approval. But um, that's always been where it's from me. Like, if you give me a guitar, I'm very rarely gonna play like, uh, you know, some chords of things that you guys know or whatever i uh, but it, it's it doesn't matter like i'm just i'm just curious like you know what you what you're trying to get out of it essentially and i i don't know it, i yeah. <laughs> i don't I, I can tell you a part of it i can tell you a part of it um i i mean for me it's like i didn't go in and thinking like oh i'm gonna you know be gigging in two years or i'm gonna figure well, right. out this yeah, particular exactly. you know so I, I i didn't go in with really big you know, or, or clearly defined goals, I should say. Mm-hmm. But um, part of it is just just wanting to participate in it. You know, be able to do yeah, something right. that's that's I've, just really fun. But I have to admit, there's another part of it, and this is something I haven't talked about with anybody before, other than Mary Beth and maybe a couple of friends. But um, I actually, when I again had a lot of time on my hands early in the pandemic, I actually started working on a book, which I uh-huh. have not worked on in in three months or three and a half months. So I don't know if I'm going to finish it or if I do it, it's probably going to be something very different than what it's started out as, Mm -hmm. but it came out of a realization that, uh, this is going to be hard for me to put Nick. Okay. Well, out of a realization, like I feel like in in fantasy baseball, like I, I haven't been able to do things that I thought I, I would be able to do in terms of analytics and, 
don't know, be being like, you, right? They're really feel like a great sense of accomplishment with what with yeah, what I've done. Sure. And just I I just have this desire to um to to feel like I've done everything I could do musically. Mm-hmm. Um, wherever that takes me. And it might not be very far. I don't know. But it's just the idea of like starting something, especially with the drums, start, starting something really new that requires me to struggle a lot yeah. and stick with it anyway mm-hmm. and do as well as I can with it without regard to achievement. That's really sure. the better way to put it. It's not even I, so I much think, like, does that make sense? Yeah, of course. It's, um, and I want to, I want to clarify before it, like, when I talk about what you're trying to get out of it, it's not like there needs to be a purpose. It's more of um, right. you know, where the where the enjoyment comes from, and that's different from people. And I'm curious about that. And and many times, like you know, the ability to be able to just say, "Oh, cool, there's that song," and just to be able to play it at your own way yeah. and have that that expression and the you know, the you're emitting this thing into existence. Um, sure, it's a song you didn't write, but who cares? It's a beautiful thing, and like that's such a cool thing to be able to do. Um, and for me, like I've written, I've written, uh, I want to say like two hundred, three hundred different things, if not more, probably like five hundred. Wow! And like no one knows these, and they'll never know them. And that's it's not really for them. It's more for like I wanted to make something I hadn't heard before, and like oh, this is interesting. Yeah. They're they're all terrible, Al. Don't worry. Um, but I. <laughs> But, but that, that's really I, cool. But it's 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 more of like I I totally understand like in fantasy baseball realm, it's hard. You know, I used the word canvas before because it's hard to really have a blank one and then be able to put something that is truly like unique and different. That is an actual yeah. expression of Al Melchior. You know, that's very well any, put. Right, like it, it's. Fantasy baseball, it's like, how, how do you feel about the guys today? I'm like, oh, you know, I want to start uh, John Means and, you know, I, I would rather sit, I don't know, uh, Brad Keller, whatever it is, right? And that's not like you. That's just, okay, your, uh, you know, your takes on that day. And it's not like there's so much more to Al than that. And I I can't, oh, I, 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 I so understand that the necessity of yours and a book makes perfect sense. I would read that in a heartbeat. If it's you learning drums <laughs> well, I, and there's a way for you to showcase like, Hey, cool. I'm doing drums and I bring something to the world. That is me. I love that. So yeah. And I'm I, so I encouraged really by this. Not, sorry. I'm sorry. Nick. I didn't, I didn't really explain it well because that is certainly a part of it, but it's also, it's like the, the uncoupling the activity from the, from the achievement. And yeah. What the, that's done for me, and I think in fantasy baseball and in other parts of my life, is that I've missed out on opportunities to learn from people because I've wanted to believe that I know no more than I actually do. <laughs> so uh, there have been opportunities like for me to be mentored that I've not either passed up on or not made the most of. So you know, I'm doing these online guitar lessons and, and they're, they're really cool. And it's, it's an opportunity every day I sit down to like, to learn something and, and, you know, struggle when there's a struggle and be okay with that and be okay with like not knowing what, what I'm doing. And, you know, and the fact that I get to learn drums from this incredible drummer whose work I love um, and to, you know, to, to be okay with the fact that uh, I'm, you know, very much a beginner and I'm just going to learn whatever I can learn from her. So, right. Right. Um, 
So that's that's a big part of it too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we're all guilty of that, Al, of, you know, uh, yeah. of passing up those opportunities and when we need to have, you know, more humility of like, okay, great, this is something that I I should be learning and taking the time to absorb and, you know, respect uh, from the other person. Oh, man, I, I, I've certainly been guilty of that myself many, many times. Uh, and it's, yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's really cool to hear this from, you know, from you of someone who is incredibly smart and knows a lot. Uh, so I think a lot of people appreciate that coming from you. Definitely. Um, but Al, uh, I mean, yeah. this has been a, a wonderful hour in change. Uh, talking to you about, I mean, music, horses, your, your world, your journey, um, you know, uh, authority, <laughs> Uh, it, it's it's been an absolute pleasure, and I really can't thank you enough uh, for joining me on this episode. Uh, well, I'm so glad you invited me. This was really really fun, Nick, and uh, you know I wish you best of luck with with this show and with uh, every everything you're doing right now. Well, well, thanks, Al, uh, and everyone listening. You should be uh, listening to Al, of course, on the Athletic. I uh, listen to his podcast, You, Me, and an Album. Uh, follow both Al on Twitter at Al Melchior BB and at Toto Thoughts. Definitely that one. That's actually the more important one that you want to be following. <laughs> I, I, I don't want people to be disappointed. I've not been very active on there because I, um, you know, I literally commented on every song from the author studio albums, which took like beginning to end six months. Uh, oh, and I, I have not been really active on there since. But uh, so I'm going to plus something else here that uh, you mean an album does have a Twitter account at you me album. Beautiful. And uh, you should be telling Al what albums he should be listening to uh, yes, as please. soon as you can. I, I got to give you a list of about 150. So we'll, we'll get there, Al. Excellent. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, thanks thanks so much for being here, Al. And for everybody else, thank you so much for listening. It uh, comes out every single Wednesday. So I'll talk to you guys next week.